said at 8.15, am I getting any sympathy out there? <laughs> you guys can pack more boxes, you know? <laughs> I'm milking it for all I can get. Um, as you see around you, we are celebrating Operation Christmas Child. Um, we have, outside in the gathering place, we have crafts, we have... Um, <laughs> We have things to show you how to pack a box. We have, um, <laughs> we have information about it. We have, uh, in fact, let me just say right now, would, would the Operation Christmas Child members please stand? Our team, Patsy, Lori, Kathy, Karen, and we, we have more, but they're, they're all between different services. So these ladies here are going to be able to answer your questions. Um, I want to tell you how I got started in Operation Christmas Child. About 12 years ago, we lived up in the Panhandle, and a good lady, Lita Ray Bosworth, asked me, can you help me with the missions? And I'm like, no. Now, I, I did choir, and I cooked dinners for everybody, and I was the treasurer of our church. I was involved, but I was like, no, I don't believe I should go do the stuff raise money for over there. We need help here. Lita Ray being the, giving, showing me the most grace and not pulling me aside and saying, listen here, kid, <laughs> and pulling me by the ear, she showed me great grace. And I know she prayed for me on it. And I think God was laughing at me right then going, my poor child, <laughs> you've got a lot to learn. <laughs> so I, um, I went up to North Carolina to visit my mom. She um, works for a Baptist church up there that Franklin Graham's son was working at. And I walked around and I saw these boxes, about 1,500 of them. And I'm like, what is this? She said, it's Operation Christmas Child. They fill the boxes, they send them overseas, blah, 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 blah. So that's kind of interesting. If you can do it, we can do it too. So I started off by taking about 50 boxes into our new church. I got online, I kind of read about it. I said, oh, this is okay. What I really didn't think about is we're doing international missions. So as the year grew, and after many years of Bible study, I learned that it is my job to reach across the borders and to touch these children, for us to change the lives of these children. And if we don't do it, who will? These children have seen poverty more than we have ever seen. They have... There's more famine, more war. Um, their family, some of their families abandon them because they can't take care of them anymore. A lot of them are in refugee camps. A lot of their families have been killed in war, so they can't take care of them. Can you imagine being in an orphanage and having to share a washcloth with 20 kids? Can you imagine sharing a toothbrush with 20 kids? Did you ever think living in America that you would be not allowed to attend school because you didn't have pencils and paper? Because that's what's happening around the world. And it's up to us to reach over those borders. These children are our future. So we need to help them and show them God's love. Jesus told the disciples in Matthew 28, 19, Therefore, go and make disciples of a nation, of all nations, not America, but all nations. 
And that's not just to them, it's to us. It's our job. The one way we can do this is a simple box. In that box is not just toys. It's not the, most of them, it's the first present they've ever gotten. Some of them, it's the last present they've ever gotten. And we can show God's love by packing simple things and giving them to these children. But it doesn't stop there because we go further and we pack the good news in their language and they read it and they're excited. And then they're offered a discipleship class to come back for 12 weeks and to take God into their heart. Last year, I think it was 3 million that attended the class. Over 1.7 million gave their life to Christ. Now, how, how awesome is that? We can't do that here any better than we're doing it at Operation Christmas Child. Um, for the next three weeks, you'll see that we'll be collecting items. We'll be doing crafts. We'll be doing a packing party in September that we're really excited about. Um, and I hope this is helping you, inspires you to ask questions, learn more about it, as it has inspired me for all these years. Um, I want you to remember when you pick up that special toy or that box of pencils, that it's God looking down on you saying, thank you, my good and faithful servant, and I will be praying that because you are expanding God's kingdom with these gifts to these children. We have a, um, a saying, one box, one child, one soul. That's our opportunity. These children will not receive a second box. It's one box, one child, one soul. I want to introduce Andy and Becky Carlson. They are our, I work with them as church relations coordinator of Manatee, Sarasota, and DeSoto counties, and they are our area coordinators that work with me very hard. They, I cannot tell you how much they are um, committed to this ministry. And they will be out front, and they will be answering questions as well. We were sitting down because we have an event coming up, the three of us, actually the four of us, because Piper was out there with us. And we were sitting there saying, what is our theme going to be? What are we going to do? And we're sitting there racking our brain, and we're like, I oh, know, we can't use that one. We've done it before. We can't use that one. And they go, what do you think, Piper? Piper says, fill a box, fill a heart. Aww. I said, that's it. Fill a box, fill a heart. And nobody's heart will ever be filled like it is the time they accept Jesus Christ in their heart. It'll never reach that again. So I, I ask you to please get involved. Please walk in there. If you, have, if you can sew, if you can knit, if you can crochet, if you can sew buttons, I don't care. We can make crafts. We can make things. We can collect them. We can pack them, and we can do it, and we can change this world with a simple box. Thank you. No lawsuits, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. Fill a box, fill a heart. What a perfect segue into our scripture reading this morning. It's really a pleasure to be with you here this morning, and I got to say before I begin, there's a little bit of extra pressure for me to do good this morning because my parents are here. They're sitting right here in the third row. Stand up, stand up, stand up. 
Now, if you don't know, yeah. Now, if you don't know, my dad's a United Methodist minister. Um, technically retired, he still serves as, as a supply pastor. How many years? Forty. Forty-six. He says with a deep sigh. <laughs> but uh, it's so great to have you here this morning, and it's uh, really a pleasure to be with all of you this morning. And so, returning to our scripture this morning, we're reading from the book of Matthew, chapter twenty-two, verses thirty-four through forty. This is the scripture that is commonly known as the Great Commandment. And I want to give you a little bit of a heads up. After I'm done reading the scripture, I'm going to ask you a question that I want you to answer honestly. And this isn't a question that I want you to respond to out loud or even raise a hand or anything like that. I just want to make you squirm a little bit. And I want this question to sit with you. So hear these words from Matthew. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So here's my question for you this morning. Can you honestly say, honestly, that you love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind? Let's begin with a word of prayer. God, your greatest commandment is your simplest. But it might also be the one that's the most impossible for some of us. As we unravel these words, give us a spirit of discernment. And let my words not be from me, but from you. And if I speak any words that are not of you, let them be washed away and forgotten. Amen. How do you respond to a question like that? What would you do if someone came up to you and said, do you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind? If you can answer with complete conviction, yes, I love the Lord, heart, soul, and mind, then as Pastor Chris might say, feel free to ignore the rest of the sermon while you polish your halo. But for the rest of us, it makes us feel uneasy. It makes us feel, I don't know, it makes us squirm a little bit. And I think that's for two reasons. One, you know, obviously enough, there's just areas in our lives that we know we don't love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. But I think the biggest issue is this. How do we love God with all our heart and soul and mind? What does that kind of love look like? And why does it matter? So if you feel awkward at this question, I want you to know that I empathize with you completely, and I'm not standing up here being holier than thou, because I know what a kick in the gut this question can be. Because you see, I was asked this question in so many words about a year and a half ago, one fateful night, by this packet of Taco Bell hot sauce. <laughs> now, 
if you're not a connoisseur of Taco Bell like my wife and I, sorry to throw you under the bus, honey. <laughs> we go to Taco Bell all the time. We love Taco Bell. And the thing that we love the most about Taco Bell is hot sauce. We go there and we get big handfuls of it. And granted, I usually only get like a little burrito or something, but I dump all the hot sauce on it. It's the best thing ever. And the greatest thing about these Taco Bell hot sauces is that they have these like cheeky little messages on them. You know, cheeky little messages like, hit that next slide for me, Andrew. Things just got real. Or, I'm not just another pretty face. Or, what are your other two wishes? Now, this packet of Taco Bell hot sauce stopped me dead in my tracks. And to be honest, it caused something of an existential debate within my life. Because you see, what this Taco Bell packet said was this. Do it with passion, or not at all. That was a kick in the gut for me. I mean, now granted, passion is such a buzzword in our culture these days, am I right? I mean, we're told to be more passionate about our career. We need to be more passionate about our marriage. We need to be more passionate about our health and exercise. And apparently, we need to be more passionate about the way we eat at Taco Bell. <laughs> Take that for what you will. But <laughs> what about our passion for God? How do we become passionate for God to the point that we should be passionate for God or not at all. So this really wrestled me deep down in my body and soul. And so I went to scriptures for an answer, but, but it's kind of a dead end, to be honest. When the Bible talks about passion, it doesn't talk about passion in this context. In most translations, passion deals with worldly passions and passions of the flesh and passions of lust. Not really the sort of thing we're addressing here. So I began to read more. And the more I read, the more I realized if there's any one consistent theme throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, it's that we are called to be passionate lovers of God. This command alone is listed three times in the New Testament in all the synoptic gospels and one and a half times in the Old Testament. I'll let you find the half. But regardless of where you find it, the sentiment is repeated over and over. It's paraphrased over and over from the constant admonitions of the Israelites in the Old Testament to follow the commands and to love God with all their heart to the New Testament where on a flip of a dime, Jesus will tell somebody, hey, drop what you're doing. Come follow me. Do it with passion or not at all. I think it's safe to say that this is not just Taco Bell theology. This is a biblical mandate. We are to love God with passion. We are to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. Now, there's like a bajillion people that can tell you about passion better than I can. In fact, just the other night, I opened the Parish Village News. What is there? Like a five-page spread on passion. But one thing that I think I'm uniquely qualified to talk about this morning that I want to share with you is my perspective on passion as a musician. You know, having been a music student for too many years, I've learned a lot about passion because teachers have beat passion into my head and they've yelled at me and said, play with more passion, play with more bravado. There's a Beethoven quote that goes something like, to play a wrong note is normal, to play a note without passion is inexcusable. But why? What is it about passion and artistry that communicates with others? Well, I want to share with you this morning some of my introspection on this topic on what I like to call the passion bell curve. 
And there's three types of musicians that I isolated this morning that I want to share with you their level of passion. And by the way, passion could be a really vague thing when it comes to artistry. But one thing that we usually associate towards is stage presence and body language. And believe it or not, this actually has a big thing to do with whether you enjoy a piece of music or not. Let me explain. The first kind of performer that we often see on stage, they're really stiff. They don't really feel comfortable in what they're doing. They're sort of not really emoting to the music at all. My wife introduced me to a very special term for these kind of performers. We call them park and bark performers. <laughs> they find a space on stage, they park, they bark. Not a lot to it. We don't really like these kind of performers. They don't really elicit emotion in us. Now, the second kind of performer is one that's on the completely opposite end of the spectrum. They go overboard. It's too much. You know, you know these people, they're raising their hands, they're closing their eyes, and they're flipping their hair, and it's, it's a, it's, it doesn't feel comfortable to watch because they're disingenuous. I like to call these schmaltzy serenaders. <laughs> we don't really like to watch these kind of performers. But right in the middle, there's a sweet spot. And these are reserved for artists that we are drawn to, that communicate passion. And they have one key ingredient, I found. And that key ingredient is authenticity. I like to call these authentic artists. Now, as we look at these threes, three kinds of performers, I believe there's two big takeaways that we can see. First of all, obviously enough, if we want to be devoted, passionate people, devoted lovers of God, we've got to be authentic. You can see right through a park and bark Christian. You can see right through a schmaltzy Christian. But when you're engaged with an authentic Christian, you feel something. There's something deep in your gut that trusts them, that wants you to be inspired to join their cause. But there's a second takeaway here that I was kind of surprised myself to find, and it's this. These two performers, the schmaltzy serenaders and the park and bark performers, do what they do for selfish purposes. They're concerned about their own comfort, their own insecurity, their own ego. But the authentic artist shares a why. They share a reason. They share a cause to do what they do. Why do they play music? It's not just to make themselves look good. It's because they believe in music. They believe that what they're doing has the power to inspire, has the power to change, and that music is awesome, and I want to play it with you and for you. Now, we can certainly think about this in the context of our scripture. If we love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, we've got to be authentic about it. It can't be faked. It can't be a fake piety. It's got to be real. It's got to come from the gut. And think about it like this, too. Our second reason, if authentic passion serves others, then that's right in line with Scripture. Because Jesus didn't just say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. He said, love your neighbor as... He said, love your neighbor as yourself. We're called to have an authentic passion that's shared with others. But still, why? What's the big deal? Who cares about passion? What's the, deal big, what's the big deal about passion? Can't we kind of diddy-bop through life and not really exert all that energy towards loving God? I mean, why couldn't have Jesus just said, the greatest command is love God? Boom, into discussion. He didn't. He said, Love the Lord with all your heart, 
with all your soul, and with all your mind. And I love the fact that he said, with all your mind. Because I can't help but think that he was speaking to something about the biology of our brains. Not the psychology of our brains, the biology of our brains. Let me explain. I came across a TED Talk by one of what's become one of my all-time favorite motivational speakers, Simon Sinek. And in this TED Talk, which is called How Great Leaders Inspire Action, he shares what he calls his golden circle. Why, how, what? It's a pretty simple concept. Most people operate from the outside in. We start with what? With what. Everybody knows the what they're doing. Fewer people know how to do what they're doing. And very few people know the why behind why they do it. It gets fuzzy around there. But what Sinek found is that truly inspired people, truly inspired leaders, truly inspired organizations start with why. And why is never a selfish motivation. Those are results. Money, acclaim, those aren't whys. Whys are what's your cause? What's your belief? What's your passion? Why do you get out of bed in the morning? Why should anyone care? Think about the forefathers of our country. Think about Martin Luther King Jr. Think about even Apple computers. Think about the Wright brothers. You could take each one of these very inspired, influential organizations, and you could clearly differentiate among all other similar people a why, a why that's not selfish, a why that serves to help others. Now, the best part about this is that this isn't based on opinion. This is actually based on biology. What um, Sinek found was that this golden circle corresponds to our brain if we look at it from the top down. In the outer perimeter of our brain, we have what's called a neocortex. This deals with all statistics, data, analysis, rational thought. But this part of our brain has absolutely no control over behavior. What does have control over our behavior is our limbic brain, our limbic mind. And in that limbic mind, it deals with two questions, how and why. But here's the kicker. The limbic brain has no capacity for human language. You can't rationalize with your motivations. You can't look at data and analysis. And because there's no capacity for human language, do you know how the limbic brain communicates with you? Your gut. It's the source of those, it just feels right, or it just doesn't feel right feelings. It's the source of much motivation. But now, what does this have to do with passion, really? This has to do with whys, but what about passion? What role does passion play in here? Well, passion is the rocket fuel of your why. Passion is what gets you from point A to point B. If you've got a why, if you've got a cause, when you do something passionately, it brings motivation. And more importantly, it connects you with other limbic brains, with other whys. And when people see you doing something passionately that you believe in, that comes from the core of your why, they get inspired by your cause. And they want to join your purpose. And they want to join you. So it serves to follow that if we want to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, we've got to have a why. Now, I'm not saying we've got to know why we love God. That's impossible. You try to explain to me why you love your kids. You try to explain to me why you love your spouse. But you love your kids, and you love your spouse with a why, even if you don't know it. I'm, it's often heard, I discipline my kids because I love them. Why? Well, 
because you want them to grow up and be successful human beings. I'm faithful to my wife because I love her. Why? Because I believe in a marriage that's built on trust and communication. What's your why for loving God? In your actions, what do you do that inspires actions, that communicates passion to others? I feed the hungry because I love God. Why? Because starving people aren't healthy. Because starving communities aren't healthy. That we need to show the light of Jesus to these people that are starving. I play in the praise band because I love God. Why? Because I believe when we worship together, when we worship in community, we achieve transcendental moments of worship where we see God's face and our lives can be forever transformed. I take out the garbage because I love God. Why? Because I don't like stinky rooms. And I don't want unsanitary spaces where people meet. I want healthy spaces where people can meet. So I will take out the garbage in my passion for God. We've got to love God with a why. And the thing is, each of you has a why deep inside of you that only you know, that only you can feel. That's what you need to follow when you, when you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. But let's zoom out for a second. We're a church, church hopefully filled with authentic Christians that are following their why. But collectively, we need a why. Church, what is our why? We serve our community and our love for God. Why? To be the biggest church in the district, right? I hope that rattled your gut. No. Authentic passion, what? It serves others. Authentic passion serves our... What is our church's why? We serve our community and our love for God. Why? What if it was because we believe that fulfilled lives come from sharing in God's beauty? What if it was because we want to see the broken hearts of our community restored? What if it was because people that worship together have changed lives and saved souls? What if it was because as our community changes and grows, we don't want a community that's shooting each other like the rest of the world. We want a community that's based on love and compassion and empathy. And we believe that we have the power to inspire that with a clear vision and a clear why. If one of these was our church's wise, how would it change our language? How would it change every function that we do inside this building? How would it change our culture? How would we stop, start ado adopting language that contributes towards this goal? Let me put it to you this way. What language do you use when you invite people to church? I'm going to put you in the position of someone that's being invited to church. You're the same person in both instances and I'm going to be two separate people, two separate invitations. Whose why do you trust? Whose invitation do you accept? Invitation one. Hey, I'm sorry to hear about the hard times you've been going through, but maybe you should come to church. You know, we've got a really dynamic pastor. We've got a really dynamic praise band, awesome choir. We've got really cool facilities. Our services are just top-notch. They're awesome. Great children's ministry. We've got a Stephen minister if you want to talk to one. And um, you may have a hard time finding a seat because it's just so packed. We've got awesome Christians in love with God. Want to come to church? Yes. Sounds like a cool place. <laughs> but what about this? Hey, I'm, I'm sorry to hear about the hard time you've been going through. I know you haven't left your house in a while. But I wanted you to know that when you're feeling up to it, I'd love to have you at church. You know, and if you walk through those doors, you're going to have 10 people surrounding you. And maybe you're ready to talk about what you've been going through. Maybe you're not. But whether you are or not, we'll be there for you. I guess what I wanted to say is,
we love you. We're thinking about you, and we're praying for you. You want to come to church? Authentic passion isn't about you. It's about others. How do you serve others? What's your why? What's your cause? What's your belief? This morning, we got to learn about the why for Operation Christmas Child. Last year, we packed over 500 boxes to be shipped throughout the world. 500 lives that have been potentially changed forever because of your selfless act of love and kindness. I would dare say this, this was one of the most beautiful outreach experiences that we've had as a church because everyone mobilized together and made this happen. How were we able to do that? I know exactly why. Because everyone saw the vision. Everyone believed the vision. The vision was right there. I don't know about you, but with the boxes I packed, every time I picked a toy off the shelf at the toy store, I saw faces of children whose faces I never actually see. Every time I put a toy in a box, I felt the joy and passion of kids who I'd never actually meet. There was no complicated explanation. There was no commandment I was trying to satisfy. It was pure and simple. I saw the vision, and I went to achieve it. And that's what you did, too. We believed in a vision. Church, when we have a vision, we live into the love of Jesus Christ. We live into our love that he described. How do you love God? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind? It's got to be authentic. It's got to serve others. And it starts with why. What's your why? Only you know, and I'm praying for you to find out. Why? Because a church filled with authentic Christians will change the world. That's what I believe. But whatever you do, for whatever reason you do it, remember, there's only one way to do it. Let's pray. God, inspire our why. Inspire our motivation. Inspire our passion towards you. What have we buried deep in our hearts that we're waiting to unlock? God, give us the courage to pursue that, to pursue genuine, authentic love with you with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. Amen.